Welcome back to another episode of Diagnosing a Killer, The Mental Breakdown. I'm Coel. And I'm Kenna. Welcome back. Welcome back. Some of you may have noticed that we did not release anything this past week. Uh, that's mostly to do with the fact that we have the con coming up this weekend. That's like all I can think about. <laughs> very excited. And uh, in preparation for that, we've been getting in goodies that you can get at our booth when you guys come to see us. And we're really excited. We are so excited. We've been gearing up for that. And like Qual just said, we didn't record last week at all, but we're going to be doing a countdown to the festival for this week. So when you hear this, it'll be Monday. We're going to release our case on Tuesday, and then we're going to release another bonus mental breakdown on Wednesday, because mm-hmm. we're going on Thursday for the festival. Yes. <laughs> so don't expect a case on Thursday, but you will get it two days early, which is awesome. You can also check us out on our TikTok, which I'm looking to revive this yes. weekend. So if you want to follow along with us, check the TikTok, which is at Diagnosing a Killer, and maybe you'll be able to follow along with us. We'll share some videos and pictures, yeah. all that good stuff. Absolutely. And we do have at Diagnosing a Killer as our handle on every platform, with the exception of X, which is at Killer Diagnosis, which is really <laughs> weird to say. And then lastly, I know it's your mental breakdown. Did you just want to really quickly touch on our new logo? Yeah, so we did get a new logo done, and that was provided by Ruben from Copperhead Screen Printing. He is a local dude here in San Antonio. Check his website out. He does all different kinds of things. So, yeah. Thank you, Ruben. It looks so good. Thank you so much. It looks amazing. I love the pop of color, and we got that printed on flags. Yes. And we got the flag like way too big, but it looks really good. It's like a banner almost. And we got this literally today, the hour before we started recording this. And they're going to the con with us. Yes. And they're gigantic. And so they're completely blown up, but the quality is so good. It's not pixelated or anything. He did a really, really great job on that. We were able to get pins for the con, stickers for the con. Every single platform that we have has been changed to that logo. Yes, Ruben, you rock. And if you have a sweet tooth or you like mints or you're a human and drink water, come to our booth because we will have all of those things complimentary. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm ready to hear it. Today we are going to be talking about eight different psychological phenomena. Ooh. Phenomena. Phenomena. We looked it up. It's phenomena or phenomenon. I might switch in between. Phenomenons. Phenomenons. (laughs) Multiple phenomenas. Gosh. Phenomenons. We're never going to know. It's fine. So, again, eight, but we're going to start with number one. Number one. Reverse psychology, right? I use this all the time. So reverse psychology, also referred to as psychological reactance or strategic self-anti-conformity, is when an individual attempts to restore a perceived loss of freedom or choice. When someone's like, what are you trying to do to me? He's like, I'm just practicing, what is it, anti-self-conceived authority? Yeah, it's... (laughs) Strategic self anti-conformity. That's exactly what I just said. (laughs) So this type of psychological theory typically works on those who are resistant by nature. So opposite of those who are typically compliant. Yeah. Because they want to be rebellious, right? We usually hear about reverse psychology as a negative, but it can also be used in psychology and therapy as a very helpful tool. Yeah, absolutely. The technique of the paradoxal intervention has also been called the anti-suggestion. So some therapists can frame their message so that a resistance promotes change. Interventions like these can have a similar impact as humor in helping clients cast their problems in a new light. Hmm. So it's like by a different perspective, essentially. Yeah. 
So by going with and not against the client's resistance, the therapist can actually make the behavior less attractive to the individual, which is interesting. Well, it's like we say, it's it's really hard to see something when you're so close to it. Mm-hmm. And then if you bring yourself away from it, or once you are removed from the situation, you can really see it more clearly. I think it's yeah. kind of like the similar... Yeah, like, it's, it's reframing, essentially. Mm-hmm. This means that pretending to agree with clients' thoughts and beliefs and reaffirming them out loud to make them realize their fallibility would also be a helpful tool. Mm -hmm. We also regularly see examples of it in marketing as well, like continuing to dangle a product in front of our face or make the item more exclusive because we want what we can't have. Mm -hmm. It's like, um, I just wrote Bugs Bunny because it reminds me of the like, (laughs) where it's like, yes, no, yes, no, no, yes, no, oh. yes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, again, these are just going to be little tiny tidbits of each one of these uh, psychological phenomena. Oh. The next one is going to be the overview effect, okay. which I found very interesting. The overview effect is a term given to those who have experienced seeing Earth from a great distance in space. Okay. Like, right? like people that have actually been to space? Yes. Okay. Like actual astronauts. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Not everybody is going to experience this, right? Not just like seeing a photo. Right. This phenomenon only few have ever experienced, and it completely changes your perspective on the vastness of the universe. That's, I would freak the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> Especially how small or insignificant the human race is. Yeah. Pale blue dot. Just, just little, <laughs> yeah. We you know nothing. Pale blue dot yeah. in the universe. You know nothing, Jon Snow. No one country borders another. There's no religion, race, or personal identity separating us from each other. Like, just to know that it's... Isn't that such an intense thought? like, makes me nervous. Eugene Cernan was an astronaut who first orbited the Earth in 1966 on Gemini 9. He then went on to orbit the moon on Apollo 10 in 1969, and then eventually landed on the moon in 1972 with Apollo 17. Apollo 17 has since been the last moon landing... Hmm. 1972. Yeah, they tried. The they try to say that we don't have the technology to make it possible to go to the moon anymore, and it's like, what? We didn't even have fucking phones. Isn't space daddy Elon Musk trying to go to Mars or some shit? Yeah, I don't know. That's further away. What sense <laughs> does that make? So what the fuck? Yeah, can't even get X right. Yeah. <laughs> Eugene said about his experience while commanding Apollo 17. "Quote: You have to literally just pinch yourself and ask yourself the question silently." Do you know where you're at at this point in time and space and in reality and in existence when you can look out the window and you're looking at the most beautiful star in the heavens, the most beautiful because it's the one we understand and we know it's home, it's people, family, love, life. And besides that, it is beautiful. You can see from pole to pole and across oceans and continents. You can watch it turn and there's no strings holding it up. And it's moving in a blackness that's almost beyond comprehension. God, quote. that's so insane to think about. Right? Like, and then I'm over here, like, having anxiety because <laughs> I didn't get enough sleep. Yeah. <laughs> like, mad at my, like, that's my biggest problem. That's my right biggest now. problem. Like, yeah. Yeah. Jesus. I just gotta get gas in my car, you know? Yeah, like, seriously, <laughs> yeah. so I can drive on the fucking earth. On the earth. <laughs> the roads that we've paved onto yeah. the fucking earth. <laughs> Which, like, you know, takes no time. It's like, you're stuck, in, you're stuck in traffic for 20 minutes, but you're like, it takes days to, like, go to the moon. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> 
In October of 2021, actor William Shatner took a suborbital capsule into space with Blue Origin, which is the Jeff Bezos company. William later said that he regretted the experience, stating, quote, It was among the strongest feelings of grief I have ever encountered. The contrast between the vicious coldness of space and the warm nurturing of Earth below filled me with overwhelming sadness. Oh my gosh. Every day we are confronted with the knowledge of further destruction of Earth at our own hands, the extinction of animal species, of flora and fauna, things that took five billion years to evolve, and suddenly we will never see them again because of the interference of mankind. It filled me with dread. End quote. That's heavy. It's fucking heavy. Yeah. I bet it fills you with, like, like, your body is probably so fucking scared at the same yeah. time. Like, I am insignificant. Like, I can barely be on a fucking airplane, <laughs> and you're gonna launch me into space? I couldn't do it. Oh my god. There's no way. Ugh, that's too much. That's way too my, much. My brain would break, and if- that's why it's dubbed the overview effect. Your brain breaks. It experiences something that is probably not meant to be experienced yeah, by no, humans. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Your brain can't <laughs> comprehend that. If anyone that's listening has ever been to space, please, please tell us about your experience. <laughs> We'd like to know. Ugh, so that's overview effect. Wow, I've never heard of that. That makes so much sense, though. Yeah. It's just, that's it's crazy. something that you don't really think about, because, I mean, we're not fucking astronauts. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's insane. So number three is cognitive dissonance. Which I've I'm heard sure of this. We've, yeah, if you've taken a psychology course, typically you might have heard of this one. But for our listeners... Cognitive dissonance is when two contradictory ideas or choices present themselves, but one still chosen with the understanding that a negative or positive ramification of that choice is still a possibility and will need to be accepted. And that is a very long sentence. Yeah, break it down. But for example, you might have to make a career decision that requires you to move to a beautiful countryside. You could take the job and miss your friends and family, but enjoy the remoteness of this new area Mm -hmm. that is yet to be explored. Or you don't take the job to be with friends and family, but you still yearn for the experience of having a peaceful environment. Both of these choices end in cognitive dissonance, and both choices have their good points and bad points. Yeah. The point of it is, is that making either decision takes away the possibility that you can enjoy the advantages of one one choice that you didn't make, yet ensures that you must accept the disadvantages of the choice that you did make. Mm Mm-hmm. Cognitive dissonance aims to lower the amount of dissonance we feel when experiencing choices such as these. Another example might be smoking. We all know that it's bad for our health to, to smoke, but in order to reduce the dissonance, one might tell themselves that life is too short to worry about ramifications of smoking. So we also see this in examples of spending too much money, diet and exercising, or just about anything we can experience at any given time. No, yeah, it's essentially like, I'm going to take the bad with the good, and the bad's like not that bad. Yeah. It'll be fine. Well, because it's so far removed in the future. Yeah, exactly. Almost. You know, it's like, who's to tell what's, you know what I mean? What's really going to happen. Yeah. Exactly. So that's cognitive dissonance. Tell me you have... Whoa. Uh, <laughs> tell me you have... Where are you? <laughs> and I'm so sorry. <sighs> Do you have a confirmation bias on here or not? <gasps> oh, maybe. It's not really a phenomenon, it's just kind of like a thing. No, I don't, I don't think Well, the thing is about, and what's great about this list, is that there, these are just eight, and there's like (laughs) a billion. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I just picked eight ones that I thought were really interesting. Yeah, for sure. Number four. Number four. four. Batter-Minhoff syndrome. All right. It's not a syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) That was like the longest laugh in the world. We had to pause and go back. 
phenomenon, not a syndrome. I was going to say, what? So the, I think it's Batter, it might be Batter, I think it's Batter. Batter Minhoff Group or Gang was a leftist radical group founded in the later 1960s and early 1970s. The group believed that the United States was an imperialist power, extending themselves into other territories that it didn't belong to, and were against the fascist regime of West Germany. Okay. Their leaders were Andres, Batter, and I think it's Ulreich, Minhoff, Meinhoff. The gang would support themselves and their movement by robbing banks and would often set explosions or commit arson in an effort to raise awareness about their revolutionist ideas. All right. These attacks were most often targeted of, most often targeted West German military installations and West German corporations. Eventually, the group called themselves the Red Army Faction and developed into 22 core groups and dozens of followers. The group were labeled terrorists and their actions became more and more violent as the years went on. They would sometimes align themselves with group of, groups of militant Palestinians and on several occasions actually managed to hijack planes. Oh my gosh. What does this have to do with psychology? Yeah. Like, <laughs> these are just bad people. In 1994, an online commenting board under an article claiming the term, quote, frequency illusion, end quote, the commenter had said that they always called it the batter Meinhof phenomenon or Minhof, however you say it. They had once heard two separate groups of people talking about the gang twice in one day and never hearing of the gang before and began to think, what are the odds that I would hear two things in the same day with two separate people that had nothing to do with each other, right? I cannot fucking explain how often this happens to me. It happens to me too. It's the astral plane. I never called it that. That was actually a term that Joe told me, yeah. Joe from work. He said, yeah, the it's called the plane. astral plane. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell? Is that? Like, that's what he said. He's like, when you hear two things at the same time, that's what I call it. So yeah. that's what I call it now. So batter Meinhof, also known as frequency illusion, happens when we are introduced to a new idea or thought that our brains are able to recognize more frequently after thought it or seen it. Yeah, of course. So, like, I've definitely talked about it before where I'm like, you ever, like, date someone and you see that car, like, everywhere? You yeah. Know? Because mm-hmm. it's not that it wasn't always there. It's just you're able to recognize it more easily now. Mm-hmm. So it is closely related to the recency illusion, where one experiences a new thing recently, making it a recent thing. So say you hear a song that you assume is recent, only because you just are hearing about it or listening to it, um, but it's from the 90s. Like, uh, what's that Kate, uh, that Kate Bush song? Running up that hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like all of a sudden that exploded, and it's like, oh, what's this new song? It's like, well, it's Kate Bush. She's been around forever. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Actually, this happened to me the other day. Mm-hmm. Remember when we were recording your case, your most recent case, and you said, like, nine years her, her junior, and I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah. I was researching my case the next fucking day, and yeah. it said that in the research, yeah. and I was like... That's what it means. Yeah. That's what um, it means. That's what it and means. like, <laughs> oh, God, this it's just crazy to me, like, that that can happen. It happens all the time. I yeah. feel like I used to watch Family Guy all the time, and mm-hmm. I would think of a quote from Family Guy, or, like, an episode, and I would watch it, I would just pick up where I left off, yeah. and it would be that episode when I came home. I'm like, like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, your brain just knows. <laughs> so yes, frequency illusion. Or, wow. Yeah. Or if it's a recent thing that you feel like it's like a new thing, yeah. it's recency illusion. Okay. Got interesting, it. right? That is really interesting. I've never <laughs> even known what to call that except for the astral plane. Right? <laughs> All right. I don't know what number we're on, but it is the placebo effect. Oh, yeah. I think it's five. Love it. <laughs> so the placebo effect, placebo meaning shall be pleasing, which is interesting in Latin, Shall be pleased. Shall be pleased. Shall be pleased. Said that earlier. That's the third time I've said that today, I think. Oh, that's weird. What just happened? Frequency illusion. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did it, though. <laughs> I did it each time. Yeah, I did it each time. It was me every time. 
So this refers to the phenomenon that you may believe a treatment is working simply because you were told it would or you believed it would. Mm -hmm. A placebo is a treatment, maybe a medication or a shot that has no real effect on the brain or body. These are usually used as a control in an experiment. Mm -hmm. You, the volunteer, may be taking a placebo or a medication, but unbeknownst to you. It might be one or the other. You may begin to sleep better after being treated for insomnia. You may feel less depressed after being treated for depression. There has even been cases where pain has been reduced during treatment, all with the effect of the placebo. I'm telling you, it's a mental game just as much yeah. as it is a physical game. It's like that whole like mind over matter type yeah. thing, right? You might come to the end of the experiment and be told that the entire treatment time you were actually taking sugar pills. <laughs> so this is the placebo effect. Most researchers believe that this effect is due to one's expectancy. If you expect the treatment to work, then it will. And they say that often with, like, cancer patients. Yeah. To believe in the treatment. And that's also part of the psychology of it, is that if you believe it'll happen, your body works in very mysterious ways. Mentality is half the battle, like I'm saying. I I think that this also, and I don't know if you're going to mention it or not, it also can be true for someone that you trust telling you something, Mm -hmm. and then you believing them and not, like, like... Perfect example, like, I think Casey knows everything, right? Like, mm-hmm. Casey is never wrong about anything. Like, he, he his, all his facts are correct. <laughs> if I'm, like, fearful about something, I express that to him. He reassures me with a fact or something that he knows to be true. Yeah. And then I have less fear from what I was talking about. Yeah. Because I trust his opinion or thoughts right. or whatever. Yeah. And because of that, that's a kind of like a placebo. He could be lying to me, but it would still make me feel better. Right. Because he said it. Right. You know what I mean? No, I totally understand what you're saying. Also, in contrast, the individual being treated may also expect the treatment not to work. And in fact, many of these negative thoughts have produced even more complications to the volunteer Mm -hmm. as they actually manifest side effects of the perceived medication and it actually worsens their conditions, which is... Well, you you ever heard about the phenomenon where, like, you... If you think you might be pregnant and you really think you're pregnant, you can actually have pregnancy symptoms? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of that, for sure. You just believe it. Just believe it. And then it's like... Oh, hold on. My boobs always hurt like this? Or, right. like, you know, like, certain things. Am I gaining weight or yeah. whatever? Or in the case of, like, maybe back pain. Like, mm-hmm. you're taking this medication and you are so fearful of all the side effects that this medication could cause that you actually start developing the side effects. Yeah. Even though you're just taking a placebo. Yeah, that's literally me when I take med- new medication. <laughs> so the negative side effects or, you know, lack thereof would be called a non-cebo, which is interesting, hmm. which means shall harm. Shall harm. Shall harm. Okay. A non-cebo. Ugh. In even more severe cases, patients can actually experience withdrawal symptoms if the patient truly believes that they are weaning off the medication that was seemingly affecting them. God, that's so crazy. And it's just in your, it's, like, mind. Your head does that. Your, <laughs> your brain does, does that. that. <laughs> that's so, so wild. It's so wild. Ugh. Oy. So that's the placebo effect. Yeah. Dang. I'm never going to, like... Be put in, in an experiment because I'm gonna freak out and everything like that's gonna happen to me. So number whatever, cryptomnesia, which okay. is a weird, strange word. It sounds like you forget that you stole something, right? Or not? That's kleptonesia. Kleptonesia. <laughs> yeah. This is cryptomnesia with an M N, okay. which is kind of hard to say. Ronald T. Kellogg defines cryptomnesia as quote the belief that a thought is novel when in fact it is memory. End quote. Okay. So cryptomnesia occurs when we think we've discovered or created a new thought, song, theory, when in reality we just simply remembered it. Okay. Like your brain logged it away, and then it was like, this is a brand new idea. Like when I saw the iPod, I could have kicked myself. Okay. <laughs> That's for baby mama. Yeah. 
This is actually without the individual's comprehension, knowledge, uh, conscious, and the person actually believes that they came up with the idea originally. Yeah, they're not trying to, like, fool someone. Yeah, exactly. It's without the intent to manipulate. Yeah. So believe it or not, the origin of cryptomnesia can be linked to spiritual mediums. Hmm. Cryptomnesia was first recorded in 1847 when William Stanton Moses, a medium, began communicating with two brothers that had passed away in India a week prior. Moses' knowledge of the men's passing was miraculous, and it was believed that he was in fact communicating with the two brothers. Moses eventually realized that his claim that he was talking to the deceased men was due to him reading about the incident in the newspaper a week earlier. He just forgot. It was unintentional. And this effect has been used to explain away many coincidences in the medium world. Do you remember that? Um, do you, you probably don't, actually. Montel Williams, he used to have that psychic lady. What was her name? Susan Brown, I think was her name, know. or something Brown. Sylvia Brown, I think it was. And she was, like, the spiritual medium, apparently. Uh-huh. And she was, like, on the show, and she'd be like, does anybody know anybody with a J name? And it's, like, literally everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do see, like, feel like there was a death in the family. It's like, yeah. Literally everybody. <laughs> Literally everybody. <laughs> yeah. But I think, like, I don't know. I mean, now it's so easy. Like, I tried to take a friend of mine to go get, like, a, a reading, and they wanted it by appointment only. And I'm like, okay, well. Because you want to be able to research us. Yeah. I was like, you can just Google me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I have a podcast. So. It pops up as a podcast now. On yeah, Google. exactly. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that is so cool that when you Google us now, there's a little bar to the right that says, like, our synopsis and stuff. It's so nuts. This is True Crime Podcast. Like, true Google crime recognizes podcast. us as a that podcast. That we're a podcast. <laughs> so the likes of Carl Jung and Frederick Nietzsche have also written in length on the subject of cryptomnesia, which I found interesting. Yeah. So it's definitely not just some thing that happens. So, like, you know, actual psychiatrists and psychoanalysts and, you know, that they they recognize this as well. Yeah. Cryptomnesia. cryptomnesia. That's really interesting. Ooh. Number 1005, <laughs> Dunning-Kruger effect. Okay. So, in 1999, a study conducted by David Dunning and Justin Kruger had young adults that were to participate in testing of their knowledge of three separate categories, logic, grammar, and humor. Mm-hmm. These studies were to determine not just the knowledge of the participants, but also how competent each participant felt in their knowledge of each category. Okay. So in the humor category, for example, jokes were presented to 65 participants, leaving them to decide what they thought the majority of people would find funny. Ooh. Like apples to apples or cards against humanity, right? (laughs) They had the idea in 99. (laughs) So participants who found themselves to be excellent judges of all things funny were actually the ones that had the lowest success rate at choosing a funny joke, even though they were super confident that they knew humor. Another example in logic, an equal group of men and women were chosen to participate in a science quiz. Most of the women were shocked that they had performed as well as the men, given that they believed somehow they were intellectually inferior or incompetent in a subject like science. Mm. And then, of course, on the flip side, the men were surprised that they weren't as, you know, they weren't, they weren't 10 times better than the women. Oh, I thought it was going to be like a different subject and they were... No, yeah, they were surprised that they didn't do better than the women, essentially. Another study was done that posed like, kind of like a questionnaire. Subjects were asked if they were savvy in things like politics, biology, physics, and so on. 
but they were also asked if they were savvy in words that were completely made up and there was no subject. So they would just be like, oh, what's your knowledge like on lestimology or something, you know? And they'd be like, oh, I'm, I know all about that. Isn't that crazy? People are so annoying. Like, like they have to be the smartest, right? Can you just admit that yeah. you don't know something? Like, I, that's one of my biggest pet peeves when someone can't admit that they don't know. Yeah. I swear, one time I did that to, like, an old, old, old friend of mine. I was like, oh, yeah, this new movie came out, blah, blah, blah. It's called this and that and the other. Did you see it? And mm-hmm. it wasn't a real movie. She said, oh, yeah. It was yeah. So okay, blah, blah. Like, oh, for sure. Why, yeah. why can't you just say you didn't see it? Kelly and I used to call it the, uh, not the White Rabbit, the, the Black Bunnies. We said, you, you listen to the Black Bunnies? Yeah, the Black Bunnies are so good. They're going to be at the White Rabbit this weekend. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so believe it or not, 90% of the participants said that they knew these make-believe categories. Wow. Because again, people can't admit that they don't know. They can't like, stand to not know. You just have some humility. Like, right? have some, like, be humble. And it's then what? Fine. You might learn something? Oh, yeah. no. God forbid. <laughs> Dunning and Kruger were able to determine that these participants suffered suffered from something that they called dual burden. People are not only incompetent, but they lack the awareness to be able to realize how inept they are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ugh. People who are incompetent tend to overestimate their skill levels, fail to recognize the genuine skill and expertise of others, and fail to recognize their own mistakes and lack of skill. Mm-hmm. Let's be clear. Incompetence has nothing to do with one's IQ. It is defined as not having or showing the necessary skills to do something successfully. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. How can we all avoid the Dunning-Kruger effect? By learning. Come to a greater understanding of what it is you want to know about. Try to gain another's perspective by asking how you're improving on a topic. It's harder to compete with others when we have conversations with others about what we're new to. And if you don't know, ask. We could all do better about being vulnerable and asking about a topic that we don't understand. So don't be afraid to say, I don't know. I love it because honestly, I feel like that's such a big deal with adults. Mm -hmm. It's like people, again, I keep saying this, people are afraid to say, to admit that they don't know something. Mm -hmm. I'm the first person to be like, what? I'm sorry, (laughs) what? I have no idea what you're talking about. Can you please, can you please educate me? Right. Yeah. I don't (laughs) know. I don't know what that means. Could you tell me? Could you tell me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Could you learn to love me? Could you learn to love me? (laughs) That's a perfect time yeah, to drink Bailey's from with a <laughs> damn it. <laughs> Never drink Bailey's from a shoe. I know what I'm saying. That's interesting though. I yeah, and you guys I mean if you're listening to this episode, you probably aren't like the the people that we're describing because you probably not. want to learn new things, yeah. right? Well you're learning right now. Good for you. Good for you. Proud of you. Alright, the last one. Okay. Probably the most infamous one. Deja vu. Oh. Yes, obviously. Oh, yes, yes, obviously. You know, I think I I've heard that. this before. Oh, does it sound familiar? <laughs> I've been here before. Deja vu, meaning already seen, is a phenomenon I'm sure we've all experienced. It is the feeling of being somewhere, hearing something or otherwise, that feels so familiar you swear you've experienced it before, but you kind of know you haven't. I don't think that you're going to convince me that this isn't, like, my past life coming back to me. You don't think so? <laughs> Well, the answer might terrify you. Oh, Jesus Christ. I know. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ. I told Cliff about it earlier, and he's like, don't tell me that. Oh, my (laughs) no. Okay. (laughs) So this is still a phenomenon that has no scientific explanation, but there are some theories that have been presented that have to do with the temporal lobe. Oh, God. (laughs) The temporal lobe is located above your ears on either side of your head in between the temples. Or, yeah, behind each temple. You know what I'm saying. The temporal lobe is responsible for quite a few things, including visual recognition, senses, and memory. 
Deja vu tends to occur more often between ages of 15 to 25 in individuals who happen to have a higher education, who travel more often and can still remember dreams the next day. And they also tend to be liberal. That's the research. That's not me. But they tend to be liberal people. Although deja vu is common amongst people, in very rare cases, deja vu can be linked to neurological disorders like temporal lobe seizures. Awesome. Are you ready? (laughs) Temporal lobe seizures can produce feelings of deja vu. Signs that you might be having a temporal lobe seizure. God. Freak me out. Versus regular deja vu. (laughs) Versus a regular seizure. No. Like, what? No. Sudden, unexplained feelings like joy or anger, problems controlling your muscles, twitching in your muscles, Mm -hmm. having sensations that involve visions, taste, hearing hearing smelling touch all all your senses feeling as though you're about to have a seizure which you know that's great that does yeah. not sound very fun right so it could ascend what you're saying is with like when one experiences deja vu it could actually just be a mini seizure kind of great if it happens often though and mm-hmm. the only reason is because when temporal lobe seizures occur it is in that same region where we would experience deja vu and again this is just a theory yeah that it has to do with the temporal lobe because that's where all your senses lie and your memories lie. Your and, memory, yeah. yeah and sure. it's your brain short-circuiting, thinking like, oh, this feels familiar. It's giving you that sense of familiarity without you ever having to experience it. Okay, I got it. That makes sense. So it's not like, you know, what you said, you're like, change my mind. I've, I swear this is a past life. Or some people say, I'm on the right path because I'm re-experiencing. Like, this is where I'm supposed to be and things like that. Like, people yeah. have all different kinds of explanations for it. But all it is, I think, after reading this, it's your brain telling you this is familiar when it's really not. When it's really not. It's just short-circuiting. I just, sometimes I go down a rabbit hole in my own brain and I think, like, all of life has already happened for me. And me currently is me laying in my deathbed and just reliving (laughs) moments of my life. They have you on a machine right now? They have me on a machine (laughs) right now. Right now. It's the Matrix. And I get to watch my success. <laughs> but I'm also like not alive. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally get what you're saying. We're uploaded into a consciousness somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Like I don't know. It's just yeah. I don't know. I, I, it's true. It's it's crazy because and that's the whole thing we've been talking about this whole episode is mm-hmm. like how much your brain can convince you that something is happening or yeah. like something that's real or yeah. like you you have an infinite amount of like imagination. It's true. And if you really try hard enough, like you can. To, like literally make your brain believe anything yeah make your body believe anything it's so true that overview effect one messes with me oh yeah but before we wrap up i did i did find this really interesting that there are other dejas oh so there's deja intendu which already heard okay. which is already heard deja oh, this these are all in french okay. and i remember every <laughs> single one of these deja improve already experienced deja fate which is already done Déjà pensé, which is already thought. Déjà reconte. I do not have a tongue for French. I have a tongue for Spanish. Um, which is already recounted. Déjà sentai, which is already felt emotionally or already smelled, which I thought was really interesting that it means both. Yeah, that is like interesting. already felt the, like how closely smell is related to memory. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Ugh. I love it. Déjà su, which is already known or you have the knowledge of. Déjà déjà trouvé, which is already found. Déjà vécu, which is already lived through. And déjà volu, which is already wanted. Dang, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of déjas There's a lot of déjas, and all we do is say déjà vu. Déjà vu. So 
learn, mind your P's and Q's, find out what deja you're talking about, because there's a bunch. <laughs> I if it's swear I've seen this before. Deja vu. Deja nope, vu. That's all that is. <laughs> it is, actually. Oh, deja vu is already seen. Oh. <laughs> I've already seen this before. I could have said any other sense, and that's the one I went with. But, uh, yeah. I've already felt this before. Deja I vu. I like the deja sente, though. Sentai? Sente? However you say it. Sente? Sente? <laughs> that's not a little French. Right? Sente. But that's already smelled, and I'm like, that's me and Cliff were talking about that earlier too, where it's, it's, I've had so many of those where you smell something for the, you haven't smelled in ten years, twelve yeah. years, but it reminds you immediately. Yeah. Of, oh yeah. You know exactly what that scent is. Yeah. That you only get one sniff and then it's gone. It's gone after that. Like I walk by someone with like a perfume that I used to wear in like high school, and I'm like, that's that one perfume. Or yeah. Like, and I'll go around room. sniffing, and I don't get it again. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> people are like, "What the fuck? Get away from me! What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> Deja <Dejas> and day. <laughs> oh, that's it. Yeah, that was interesting. Right? I liked that. It was a yeah. It's a little. It's a little bit of a just a, a, a palette of yeah. different flavors there. So, well, no, that was really interesting. And the fact that you said that there's a lot more, we definitely need to do another yes. mental breakdown on that because yeah. that was really cool. There's a lot. Well, I was thinking during this episode we should just go ahead and do ad-free for all of the episodes leading up to the podcast con because it's a special week. Yeah. So you guys are going to get this episode completely ad-free. We'll just yeah. do intro music and outro music, and we hope you enjoy. Three days of ad-free. Three days of ad-free. I love that. Yep. For everyone. Oh, I'm so hungry. Okay, we'll talk to you guys later. All right. Love you. Love you guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye.